What's up, guys? This is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy-duty parts and framing with well-thought-out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far, the best accessory item that Ameribraid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick-release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Ameribraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hustle and Grind podcast. I am your host, Noah, from Inniat River Forge, with your host, Ryan, from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. We are here with very special guests today, the boys from Ameribraid, Eric and Kevin. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you guys for having us on. And thanks to Corey like- for that intro. Yeah. I know. I, I felt like you you saw that as like a little bit of a challenge there at the beginning to try and like slip a word in there. Was that was that intentional? <laughs> I don't know. I have a bad. Uh, you could tell my. I had a bad. Uh, I had a bad elementary school. The teacher when they tell me not to do something, I just do it. So that was some of that coming out. Maybe I don't know. You didn't, you didn't think about doing it until somebody told you not to do it, and then all of a sudden you can help yourself. But now that you've said so, I kind of want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> No, quite yeah, man. Uh, I really want to try one of those grinders Koi's talking about. <laughs> makes them sound, <laughs> they sound amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sultry voice. Yeah. He does have a great radio voice, doesn't he? For a guy that smashes steel for a living, he, he sure could make a living doing podcasts. He's just, well, hey, I'm yeah. Koi Baker. Yeah. If he had like a 1-800 number I had to pay per minute, I'd just talk to him at nighttime so he could put me to sleep. <laughs> ASMR. Cool. Yeah. yeah, Koi Baker ASMR or audiobooks. So I used to, uh, uh, I like listening to things. So I would just listen to ASMR while I was at work working when me and Eric had our office jobs. It's really Eric, weird. Eric would come in and be like, hey, it's time to go to lunch. And like, he wouldn't, I wouldn't hear him. He'd be like, hey, come on, let's go to lunch. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I press pause on my ASMR video. I had to like pull the screen up and then press pause. And he's just like, that's a sex fetish. That's not that's not ASMR. I don't care what you call it. Yeah, I don't care what you say. That is just weird. Which which ASMR were you into? Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Oh, the girls were always uh, real cute. Although Bob Ross was also one of his non-standard ASMR. He would just let Bob Ross play in the background while he programmed. Yeah. So I mean, that's pretty uh, wholesome, that's though. Way crazy. Like, I, I'm not going to say I got in on it early. But I was listening to Bob Ross and some other people just to like hear them work and stuff while I worked. And then I discovered these other videos, which are like these girls doing things. And I was just like, okay, I that like sounds sound. worse than it even is. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was, the last listen, time, like, I was just listening to girls doing things while I was working. That's all. <laughs> well, just like they set up a camera and they just like tap on stuff 
And it's like, you're not going to want to watch some dude while you're doing it. So I see why they have pop more popular channels. I mean, they get like a hundred million views on these freaking videos. It's ridiculous. So Eric's like, that's a sex fetish. And I was like, dude, I, it's, it's fine. No, it's not. You're, you're making fun of me. It's okay. So I, I got off of that for a few years when we went to this full time. I didn't have time to listen to videos why I had to do real work. And I went back and tried to listen to one a few months ago. And I'm like, this is just like softcore porn. There's like, this girl had like lotion all over her face or something. And I'm like, what the hell is it? I can have this in my search history. Like, so yeah, no, it's full blown like sex fetish now, I think. <laughs> I, I put a couple ASMR videos on my YouTube and it was like uh, waves crashing. I think one of them was a rain one. And I was going to do a box fan one, but basically it just got me over the watched hours to get monetized. Oh, <laughs> there you people, go. Because people put them on to like go to sleep and then they let them run for 10 hours and uh-huh. it spikes your numbers. Yeah. We're going to have to use that one. You, I always thought well, like, uh, all you guys need to do is just put a camera next to one of your machines and, and just yeah. drilling out all the parts. That is pretty good. I yeah. like those sounds. You could just, just have like a live stream of one of your machines while it's working all day. And that could just be the, the, the Haas mini mill live stream. I'll bet it would work <laughs> well for you guys. You might get some of those sounds during this podcast. We've got our right on the other side of this wall, about five feet from us, our machine shop manager is doing some setup on a side job. So we'll see if he starts making some chips. Hopefully you don't hear too much of it. But it'll be okay. No worries. Oh, no worries. For the people so, with the same fetish as Kevin. <laughs> this is going to be a great <laughs> show. A I love this already. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned you had an office job. So both of you worked together at an office job before Ameribrade? That is true. Yeah, Correct, that's where yeah. we met. We met at a company called General Atomics. It uh, was my first job out of college um, as an engineer. And uh, yeah, that's where we started hanging out and started this whole thing off. It's an aerospace company, so we uh, worked at their facilities. Um, you had a better—I always called it the research and development facility. It was product, product development, product whatever. development facility, and uh, yeah, worked there. Eric was an engineer, and I did some tooling design. That's how I met Eric, and then I transferred over to the uh, machine programming department, did five-axis CNC programming and stuff like that. Yeah, that explains a lot. I was going to say that—that that, that certainly gives you the background necessary for what you're doing now. But from what I've seen, your guys's grinders didn't start off quite as, you know, heavily machined and everything um, as they are now. Kind of how, how did the, what, what was the Genesis? What, what, what made you guys decide this needs to be a, a two by 72 grinder? Like what, what, what was the deciding factor there or what was the inspiration? Yeah. So, um, there's a gentleman we worked with. His name was Reggie Tomerlin. Uh, he was kind of uh, in working retirement. He was like in his 70s or 80s. Um, and he used to be the president of engineering, actually, for Northrop on the B-2 bomber program. Stealth so, bomber in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah. he had No wow. kidding. Yeah, he, many, he's a big deal. But he like sat two desks behind me. And uh, he used to help. He just liked that we made things. And he liked us personally. So he used to help us collect tools and things. And he liked really making tools. He used to like scour Craigslist to help me accumulate. Like he bought me a drill press or he'd help me find a deal on a table saw when I needed one. Um, so 
he was getting into blacksmithing and was like, look at this. I think you could design a better one. Um, and he was looking like at KMG at the time. And so he was like, can you do some, uh, come up with something similar? And that was the first time I had seen a two by 72. So we just designed around the tools we had at the time. So that's why it looked a lot different in the beginning. Like you said, it wasn't so machined. Um, we designed it to be, you know, saw cut welded working with basic fabrication tools, the way a lot of guys do their home built grinders now. Um, but you know, the longer we went on. Yeah. It was just like a, they were just going to make three of them, one for Eric, one for Reggie and one for another gentleman we worked with. Yeah. Um, It was just for us. Yeah. They're just going to make three of them. So Eric designed it and did all these drawings and CAD file just so it was easy to make in like one weekend day, they could make three of them and um, all using common chop tools, you know, like I said, chop saw, bandsaw, welder, maybe a plasma cutter. And that was it. Yeah. So um, with no intentions to sell them. So it was just super simple. But then we, once uh, Kevin saw it, um, it was like, well, we've always wanted a Birking for all the fabrication stuff we do. So this is kind of does that. And even more, I want one, I need one. I can't afford one. Even a used one is too expensive. This is even better. So, um, we had kind of already been dabbling in the idea of wanting to like make stuff to sell it and uh, on the side. So um, we're like, Hey, let's try making five and see if people like them. We brought them to um, what's called the Kurt LeDuc off-road swap meet. It's this little tiny, well, no, it's not little tiny. It's a big, like big 24 hour thing where people just sell all their off-road parts near us. There's a big off-road scene near us in Southern California. You know, you're so close to Baja that it's like this special type of off-roading scene down here. And, uh, yeah, we got a huge response. We thought we were going to show up there and just like get laughed out of there. That dude was going to laugh at us for like this home built equipment that we were bringing. Yeah. But we actually had a huge crowd of people around us all night that were just super excited about it. And, uh, so that gave us all the confidence we needed to kind of make 10 more. And we, um, had already changed the design a little bit from the first one to make it a little more manufacturable and higher quantities. And then we just kept from there. It's never stopped evolving as we get more tools. We change the design because we've got new capabilities or we get feedback from people. So it's just always changing. Yeah, the design, we uh, practice what's called continual improvement. Whenever we can think of or see an improvement, we implement it right then. We don't wait for anything. Well, that's what's nice about doing it in-house, too, is, yeah. you know, we work in pretty relatively small batches. We're, like, making stuff pretty frequently, so we don't have a lot of stuff on the shelf that we have to get through. If we want to do a revision change, like, we only have to work through a week's, a few weeks' worth of parts before we can implement a change. So we're pretty... That's, that's really nice. That, I mean, that's yeah. something that a lot of large manufacturers just aren't able to do. Yeah. Especially if it, you, it, it, it's kind of that weird in between a, a lot of the large, yeah, when you, a big manufacturer, someone at Lowe's or Home Depot or something, they, the tooling cost that they have could be millions of dollars. So they're like, well, we're not going to retool this just because you had a silly idea that makes it better. <laughs> right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. When, um, when you guys first started made the decision to sell them was it always a you're gonna sell them already assembled ready to go or did it start off as like maybe a diy kit and then evolved into that or how'd that start the most diy part about it at the time was we didn't want to stock motors so but it was always fully assembled we did not want people 
our reputation of our quality, depending on how well people were able to weld together something or build something. So um, we're like, dang, we don't even want to get into that. Like we want to provide the um, experience where you just get a tool that's, you know, not a project. You're buying a tool that you want to use, not so it shows up and it's something you can get running with relatively quickly, not for the person that wants to buy a project. And you know, yeah, whole, when you want, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, there's a, <laughs> uh, we always, you know, it was a little unspoken at the time, but um, one of our big uh, things that we kind of had uh, between us is we always wanted to help guys do more, do it better, do it faster, something along that line. So um, we didn't even talk about it at the beginning, but it's just like, yeah, we build and test every one. So it shows up and you're ready to do more, or do it faster. That was always our goal is to help people's kind of work experience or their work life, help improve that, help them make more, make nicer stuff, something like that. Yeah. There, there's some nuances to how you guys make your machines that other manufacturers don't do as far as I know. Um, like machining where the platen wheels sit onto the platen. You know what I mean? Um, like machining everything. So you know it's flat. You're not just trusting that this plate steel is flat itself. Um, and that's, you know, because it may look straight, but doesn't mean it necessarily is unless you machine it. And yeah. that's one of the best examples of our continual improvement, the platen. We've had, I don't know, something like maybe like nine different iterations. Yeah, because that. we try not to add complexity where it's not necessary because then that... I've seen, there's so many two by 72 grinders out there. I've seen some that are just fully machined. There's no lack of, there's people that do that, but then the cost gets out of hand too. So you only want to do that stuff where it's necessary. So like the platen, we didn't used to do it. We were hoping we didn't have to, but over time you just run into something enough times that you're like, okay, well it's necessary. Um, and we just found out over time that, you know, the plate steel was not flat enough to trust for, tracking requirements just and dude you don't know what other people's requirements are like for us it was good enough in the beginning but yeah and like eric was just saying there's such a big scale of you know i could send you a flat piece of steel with a template and you can cut it out or i could send you some sort of crazy high-end heat-treated billet piece that you know you can consider perfect but the flip side to that is cost one's real cheap and one's real expensive so we always try to land on what's the best value we can give to our customers and at first we thought the best value was just a laser cut piece of steel. And then we have customers call them like, Oh, you know, it's not quite straight. And we're like, is that a problem? Yeah. We, 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 yeah <laughs> it's steel. And you paid for, you know, a, you paid for a, an unflattened piece of steel. And then eventually it's like, we kind of push ourselves any, like it's probably not super healthy, any negative feedback. At first it's annoying. And you're like, is this customer right? So you don't think that you're like, this is just annoying. He's being ridiculous. And you don't tell him that. And then he's like, well, he could be right. And then it's like, well, we heard it from someone else. We now. heard it from someone else. And it's like, well, we could fix that, but it'd be expensive. And they're gonna have to pay for that. Like it's expensive. And then one of us would be like, well, what if we did this? It wouldn't be that expensive. And we'd solve their problem. And usually over time, we land on giving them the most value, not making them pay for something crazy. Um, but doing the the best job we can with all the knowledges and machines and equipment and everything else we have. And then that just comes from knowing what the actual problem is. Like, you know, know what people are actually trying to do. So 
that's where yeah. us actually getting in and like we'll go stretches where we don't have time to make stuff for a long time but then it'll be refreshing when we like go to a show and work alongside with people where we're doing demos and stuff and then you're like oh that's why they actually it actually matters that the platen like is that straight is because you're trying to do this and okay if you're trying to do that then it does then you do need that sort of tolerance so yeah. all right now i get it and it's hard too because yeah. we are real technical guys but really we're kind of like our our best um skill is the word i was looking for was we're really like machine builders is what all of our experience works into is we're machine builders so that's hard when we especially when you have all these different industries it's like okay you got to rely on someone like we like knife making we do it but it's not our that's not our day job we kind of dabble in it at best you know um but, right yeah so but we rely yeah. on we got a lot of customers that tell us something we'll go try it and then yeah like okay you're right <laughs> yeah trying to, you guys are trying to appease a lot of different industries whereas like a a, a fabricator for automotive he's not really going to give a shit that his belt rides at like a one or two degree angle. But yeah. a knife maker, when he flips his blade over and tries to do his bevels on the left side versus the right side, he's going to get two different plunge lines. Cause right. he's got yeah. an angle there. Yeah. So for us, it's, it's, a, we need much more precise machining with the machine. Um, but it's awesome that you guys, you know, recognize that that, was a potential issue that you can't trust the factory plate steel um, and rectified it. Yeah. Yeah. Tough thing with knife makers too, is how many different techniques everybody has, whether you're, because if you're a freehand guy, that one or two degrees you just adjust for, you know? And, mm. but if you're a jig guy working on a work rest, now all of a sudden flipping side to side, you're completely relying on the accuracy of, how perpendicular that stuff is. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right in the middle. I'm a free hand off a of work rest. So <laughs> yeah. So we're always well, trying awesome. to so, keep open mind. go ahead, man. That was all I was going to say. Okay. So you guys, I've seen a lot of you guys' content that's been geared towards like what you were saying early on with like the off-road stuff. Um, I've seen some projects you guys have been working on, like uh, doing some, I don't even remember what it was, some vehicles you were working on. Um, how much of your your business is geared towards that automotive side? And, and what sort of things are people using the grinders for like building cages? Are they using it for custom fabricating suspension? Like what what uh, what sort of projects other than knives do your guys' machines get used for? We see a ton of stuff. It's cool. Like the tough thing, we the main reason we focus all of our content on that, I wouldn't say that any of our machine stuff is specific outside of the knife making industry. It's just we focus some content on that because people's minds get so boxed in. We'll go to shows and people will be like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why they brought a knife grinder to an off-road show. We're like, no, stop it. Like it's just a tool to do whatever you need it to do. So you have to kind of show people, look, think outside the box. This is what you can do with this tool. So um, if the only stuff that's specific is knife making stuff that we make, you know, as far as like our sharpening stuff and our um, fullering inserts and our whip attachment for integrals and plunges and stuff. It's like we cater specifically to the knife attachments, but we have to like, because of that fight that perception so that people don't just totally write us off and like, Oh, I'm not going to put a knife sh grinder in my, 
um, other shop was like, no, you will be missing out if you don't like open up your mind a little bit and think about how yeah. this will benefit everything you do. Because some other things, even like pipe makers that make like little wooden pipes, like wood carvers, and um, it's really hard to get woodworkers. They're like, it's for metal though. It's like, if it grinds metal, <laughs> it works for wood really well too. Like, <laughs> oh uh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse always me. just trying so, to get people to think freely. Oh yeah, it's an extremely versatile tool. I know uh, I use mine randomly for projects just like around the house and the yard and stuff like it you know i'll be working on something i've used it for working on my irrigation i've used it for uh working on uh building a i can't remember what it was but something for building a fence i mean it's like oh how am i gonna do oh wait i can just take this over to my grinder you know yeah or if i'm at if i'm at my day job and it's like ah i need to make this special thing to like fit in here to like you know, finagle a bolt or something like that. It's like if I was at home and I had my two by 72 in front of me, this would take about five seconds. Yeah. But it's always it's that. Back once you've had it. Yep. Oh we yeah. This makes we're everything so much easier. Yeah. We didn't realize how much we were going to use it. Like I said, it was kind of inspired by the, uh, that guy, Reggie, who got us started. So we weren't really looking for him. But then once we had it, it was like, Oh man, like this is the tool. And like we don't go a day without using it on something. I mean, obviously we use them in the shop for making more of them. They make themselves here. <laughs> yeah. Like, so. So one other thing I wanted to ask was the name Amira braid. Where did that come from? Oh man. We had a, it wasn't the only option. Uh, I wish we still had the papers with all the options. We, That'd be nice. Cause like I said, we still worked at our day job. So we came up with all of our favorite names and we listed them out and like handed them out to all of our friends at work and let them vote and tallied them up. And uh, Maribraid won out over the rest. And yeah. I think the one thing people miss on that is just, you know, it's they're like, what's a lot of people say a Mariblade. And it's like, well, I get the mistake, but just braid. It's just like two word parts to be like American made abrasive equipment. You know, that's pretty. My favorite alternative that I remember was El Grindero. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. El Grindero. Nice. <laughs> Doesn't exactly scream <laughs> American manufacturing, but. No, but it's funny. Really like, that was a good one. Uh, the one was like Sparky something. Sparkworks or something. Sparkworks. I don't know. I forget some of the other ones. Now I really see why they didn't vote for that one. But yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a committee decision. Yeah. Yep. Just let our friends vote. <laughs> Nice. I think All right. Braid was a good choice. Yeah, I can't picture any think... other name now. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like smelling candles. Once you've like smelt too many, they all <laughs> seem the same. And that's the way it was getting with names. We're like, I can't even tell which ones are good or not anymore. So when we just had to let other people vote, we're like, Yeah. Yeah. That analogy works for a lot of stuff too. <laughs> smelling candles thing. I just mean like you do something too much and then now it's like I'm numb to whatever I was trying to do. Yeah, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you stare at something long enough, eventually you're just your eyes glaze over, and you just need a second pair of eyes. It happens yeah. to me all the time. Yeah, that's where it helps having a business partner too, having a second set of eyes. I think the nice thing too is because like it's Amera Braid, and we do the capital B. Um, our first product, which was completely by accident, was actually called Amaze Board with a capital B as well, so it's A B. So now every time we do something, we make jokes. It has to be that. A B 
So yeah. um, we always talk about lots of different ventures. Well, yeah. we call them schemes. Schemes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Schemes. There's a new scheme we talk about every day, and we always have. So to you guys have ADHD day. too, then? Oh yes. Yes. This is the <laughs> thing we focused on. We're very proud of ourselves for how long we've like stuck to this. We're we've matured a lot through this process. Yeah. Doesn't stop us from dreaming about other stuff. Other stuff for sure. I really like boats, so I can't wait to start a Mara boats. <laughs> a Mara boats, I like it. Mara Bronco. Mara Broncos. Yeah, we make a lot of Bronco parts. Yeah, Mara Broncos. Yeah. So I can't remember some of our most ridiculous schemes recently. Yeah, when we finally outgrew and we had to uh, buy an industrial building, we uh, when you buy it. The people are like, what name do you want to put it under? I'm like, oh, just like our name or the business name. And they're like, yeah, no one does that. Like, you need a separate LLC to put this under. Yeah, they're like, it's a good idea to just, you know, buy the industrial property under a separate LLC. So, We're like, Amera Buildings. Yeah. So, if you look it up, Amera Buildings is taken. <laughs> Amera Buildings LLC. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I love that property. Why, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why do they say that? Why do you, why they have you buy it under a separate LLC? It's like, I don't know. We're not great business people, but it's like another layer of separation is all I can. It's what rich people do. So we're like, Hey, we better do it. <laughs> like hopefully <laughs> I can afford a boat. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love you guys. This is awesome. Oh, we got liability and tax reason. Like if we ever get confident enough to start playing tax games, I think that'll work in our favor. Right now we're just idiots and we pay taxes. Yeah, <laughs> we're not very good at Same that. Same here. This is the best, um, <laughs> Ryan. We should probably uh, let's let's hear from one of our other sponsors real quick while we're uh, laughing about Amira Buildings, or at least I am. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material. <laughs> forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. <laughs> you guys oh, look like you were being so careful not to make a sound. <laughs> like... I was like, Kevin, don't oh, you yeah, dare don't do, do it. it. Don't, don't you dare do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Noah likes to play a little game called this or that. You, right. you know, it's this. Actually, I, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I, I decided not to do today. Actually, I forgot to tell Ryan this. I figured oh. with a form, with a four man show, we would have, you know, kind of our, uh, our, our, our time filled up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I decided to skip one of our silly games today, but I do have a little game called Where in the World is Florida Man? If you guys oh, are man. interested yeah. in playing that. Playing Let's see how this works. All right. So how this works is I have three stories in front of me. Uh, I, they're all real, legitimate news stories that happened somewhere. It's your job to guess whether the headline that usually reads Florida Man actually read Florida Man. So we begin. Which one happened in Man. Florida? Right. Man breaks into home, feeds cats, watches TV, takes a shower. A burglar made himself at home, 
After breaking into a ranch, Christopher Hiscock got comfortable. He fed the cats, started the fireplace, cooked a meal, did the laundry, and wrote in the homeowner's diary. Do you believe that this really incompetent burglar who didn't steal anything, uh, but just made himself a home, was a Florida man or someone else? I'm holding off. This one's not the Florida man. It's my vote. Um, Why do you say that? I feel like... Can we ask for clarifying questions? Was he high on any methamphetamines? I feel like that'd be pertinent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was there was no mention of uh, any sort of uh, illicit materials in the article. Uh, he did steal a vehicle in order to get here, though. I did leave that part out. <sighs> was it I'm going to go not Florida. <laughs> what was that, Kevin? I was going to say, if it was a Ford Explorer... 97 um good chance that could be in florida as well <laughs> i feel like you see a lot of those clapped out ones in florida um i'm assuming we don't have that information i'll say not florida as well uh, unanimous okay unanimous <laughs> not florida well done boys that was canada man yes <laughs> the the, the tip off there was that he was he was polite enough to feed the cats and- <laughs> Oh, there was a hint. In there I should have picked up on know. that. Was it Lawrence? Mine was, the, <laughs> uh, mine was the fireplace. Why would you have a fireplace in Florida? It's like a hundred degrees. The ranch style home was what it, I'm not sure if he even said that, but I think he said ranch. And I thought ranch was like, that could be Montana, maybe some Northern territory. It was Northern. I didn't say Northern territory. Cause that's way that's, very Northern. That, was, that wasn't too far. That was, I'm not giving myself that much credit. <laughs> All right. That one was sent in by uh, Pickle. Thank you, Nick, for uh, contributing to the show. Uh, <laughs> next up, we have man pulls out machete after bar refuses to let him sing another karaoke song. Hmm. Travis Jordan, 39, was arrested and booked into jail on a breach of peace slash disorderly conduct charge, the county sheriff's office said. When deputies arrived at the bar, they spoke with Jordan, who was described as being quote, in a very intoxicated state. Do you believe that this man who was packing around a machete concealed was Florida man or two first else? names? Uh, two first names. Is you very, picked up on that, too. Yeah. Two first names. Yeah. That, that's a dead giveaway of class. Yeah. Machete. You're definitely yeah. Southern for sure. Yeah. A lot of very uh, dense snakes. Yeah. Sh- shrubbery. Yeah, um, who the fuck is carrying around a machete? Yeah. Um, a lot like of people are getting into this. To karaoke. Yeah, yeah karaoke. karaoke. Yeah. Could be another big thing in Florida. <laughs> I feel like no. Yeah. I don't know if karaoke is big in Florida because the only like Florida music I heard would be very difficult to sing karaoke. I, I heard. Oh, no, that was New Orleans I was in. Never mind. <laughs> so a little backside me and eric at our old job backstory they, backstory <laughs> or backside a little back, i'll show you that later sorry um, <laughs> that's for the after were, show they, uh, yeah. me and eric are so bad at geography they printed a u.s map and said name the states i think we got 12 right yeah it was really we are bad. not good <laughs> so like we, <laughs> we did twenty five thousand miles on the road last year which is by far the most ever traveled and like we'll be in arkansas and i'm like are we in Kentucky? And I'm like, we're at like at a truck stop and people are just like, what are you talking about? You're not anywhere near Kentucky. <laughs> Even that sentence, <laughs> we know if those are close to each other or not. <laughs> they might be. We don't be know. Next, I have no clue. But all right, I'm going, um, 
Hmm. I'm saying the I don't uh, karaoke names, though on the beaches. Karaoke. Yeah, I'm saying this is Florida man. I'm saying this is Florida man. Kenny Chesney song is what he's going for for karaoke. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll go with I'll go with Eric. I think it is Florida because you would need a machete to fend off the boas and the alligators and the giant spiders and whatever else shit they got. But by laws of deduction, this is going to tell us right here. If this isn't Florida, then the next one is. If this is Florida, then we're done. Yeah, that's the only thing holding me back. Is like, does Noah want to? Well, see, here's here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I I've done multiple Florida man. I've done, I haven't done zero Florida man, but Ryan challenged me last week. I left the Florida man for the very end. So he guessed Florida man just based on the fact that there hadn't been one yet. So eventually I will have to do it where there's zero real Florida stories. Uh And eventually I'm going to have to do it where there's all Florida stories. I'm going to have to keep this completely random in order to keep people on their toes. So just more interesting. Okay. This has all the earmarks of a Florida story, but to be different, to not go with the crowd, I'm going to say not in Florida. All right. All right. So we got two Florida, one not. Yeah. Final answer. Florida AF. Yes. Oh. Ah. <laughs> see, to- see, this is the kind of deduction that I'm talking about. He picked up on the fact that it had two first names. I leave these names in on purpose. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> I leave them out, but sometimes I leave them in. And this is one of those. Like last week uh, with Brigham, I had a name in there and Brigham picked up on the name and he guessed it right. And and yeah, karaoke and the machete. Well done. And What's talks two first names have to do with anything? <laughs> uh, hmm. if you don't Travis know. Jordan. How is that not a Florida name? No. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. even. I, last week I know we it. had like some other random name that I can't even remember because I never heard it before. And Brigham was like, oh, I knew a guy in Florida that was named that. And I'm like, that's probably the only state in the entire continent that has people named that. I Listen, I don't write the laws of the universe, but there's something trashy about having two first names. Apologies. Ricky Bobby. That's true. Ricky Bobby is a perfect. Was he? That's a perfect name. Yes. Or having dick-related names. I took a phone call from a guy at work the other day whose last name was Smallwood. Like poor guy. That's horrible. I'm so sorry, man. And then I don't. I, I don't knew know a guy. Guys, what was his name? I the knew name. a guy. His. Yeah. I'm not gonna say his first name, but his last name was Smallwood. Smallwood. All right. And then I knew a guy whose name was Harry Richard Johnson, and we called him Harry Dick Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school with a kid. I hope there's no chance he's gonna listen to this. I won't. I'll leave his first name out to be safe, but. His poor kid. His mom. This tell kid people, is probably like, I fuck, Eric is killing it. I'm so happy to support their company. It's good to see someone. And I'm just going to put him on blast <laughs> yeah. right now. But his <laughs> mom, all of his friends, like him and his dad, they everybody, there's a reason they call him Teeny Weeny Feeny. I'm like, oh my gosh, this poor kid. Like, just fucking mom. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. That's yeah. brutal. Yeah. Poor guy. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways. Um, <laughs> hey, you pick yourself yeah. up. Buddy. Awesome motherfucker. The, uh, you don't let Eric tell you otherwise. <laughs> if you're out there listening, Feeney. <laughs> you, you drive that big lifted truck with pride, man. You're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. 
uh yeah the the name on the first story was uh hiscock his last name is h-i-s-c-o-c-k hiscock i'd throw us off i sent eric a meme that said uh it was like a it was on the news it was a fire captain and it had his name like on the head header of the news and it said this guy's name he was born to be a fire captain his name was les mcburney (laughs) (laughs) i saw that one that one was good yeah. Uh, so the last, the last story, the uh, the Florida one with the machete, uh, that was courtesy of uh, Chandler Knives on Instagram. Thank you very oh, much, sir. Thank you. And the last one, are you guys ready? Yeah. Man arrested for swinging lightsaber at cops deflects tasers. A disorderly man named David Allen Canterbury, who was dual wielding a pair of toy lightsabers and started swinging them around in a local Toys R Us, hitting random customers, and then proceeded to venture outside where he had a showdown with the police. At one point, an officer fired a taser at Canterbury, but the man actually managed to deflect one of the wires with his Jedi sword. Do you believe that, that this drunk... Yeah. He deflected <laughs> Dude, his life is complete now. I feel like that's not very Florida esque though. That could no. be that could be any grown man who lives in his parents' basement. No. At any Toys R Us. <laughs> I mean, green lightsabers and all they had was two red ones. Yeah. Like I'm no Sith. Yeah. I'm saying not Florida I'm just, man. I'm going not Florida man. I don't think yeah. I don't think the density of Star Wars fans in Florida is as high as although yeah, this is Toys R Us is still around. This is probably before Disney acquired um, Star, uh, Star Wars. Wars. So Disney World would not be a pull. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying uh, this guy is has no link to Florida. Yeah. No. Absolutely not Florida. Not, not Florida. Ryan, what are you saying? <laughs> I, I agree because I feel like if it was Florida – then he wouldn't have deflected it and he would have got tasered on video. Oh, and they wouldn't deflect it. Oh yeah. They just use. Shrimp. Oh yeah. Sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true too. The true giveaway. Okay, right okay. Before I tell, before I tell you where this guy is from, I just want to say how much I appreciate the depth of, of investigation that is going into all of these answers. I've never gotten anyone to actually pay attention to all these cues and really dive deep into the mind of the criminal in these stories. Oh, it's it's right brilliant. People. Oh yeah. These are the it's, games it, we used to play at our day job. Oh That's my how productive gosh. we were. Our old boss <laughs> he could guess if you had any guessing game, he would blow you the freak away. And it made us so mad because he had no re- no right to be as good as he was. He had no information to be able to guess as good as he did. Yeah. But he would always nail it. So now anytime we nail anything perfectly, we like it's his term now. We yeah. call it we roused it. That's his last name. His last right? name is Rouse. Yeah. So you you rouse that. Yeah. If you just guess perfectly, you rouse yeah. it. I am going to go one step farther. Eric brought up a good point that they just would have shot him in Florida. I'm gonna say this is a a liberal area where this happened. Cause they pulled out tasers. Yeah. Would you like to, oh, to that's get a any good more point. specific? Do you know which state it's actually in? Yes, is that information available? Okay, good. I'm gonna uh, go San Francisco. I don't think it's San no Francisco. Offense. They just would have let him go on his own way. Me and Eric, <laughs> we got a company truck and we had to go down to the dealer. And we live in California, and there was a crazy cracked out person in the parking lot who 
I can't even repeat the crazy stuff they were saying to me. They like, he like confronted me and was like, Hey, listen, man, I know, you know what's going on and I just need the money. I don't have to shoot anybody. Like they took it back there and he talked to me for like 12 minutes and I'm like, oh, dude, I don't. Uh. So I finally get away from him and he comes and finds us in the dealer and he keeps talking to us. So Eric goes to the manager like, this guy's bugging us. Yeah. He's like threatening people about guns and yeah. And the manager's like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you guys had beef together and just walks we're, away. Yeah. We're like, no, we don't have, <laughs> like, no, we're here legitimately buying a vehicle. This guy is on drugs. <laughs> so I'd almost say it's, it's in not too liberal of a state because they just would have left the guy with lightsabers alone. You just, you avoid him. Everyone in the area knows how to avoid people that are losing it. So it's maybe not too liberal. Maybe it's in a purple state, maybe Arizona or that's, that's good. Or a Republican leaning area of a liberal state. There's some areas of Texas. Oh, you're getting getting warmer. All right. (laughs) So we're just going to, we're just going to go ahead and kill this here. You guys are just blowing me away with, with how, how good you are at this. Uh, Yes, that was in Eastern Oregon, which is, in fact, a more Republican-leaning area of a very liberal state. So, well done, sir. High five. That was the best Florida man we've ever had. Thank you both. (laughs) That was fun. Yeah, that was good. We like those games. We have a game we play. Excuse me. We have have dreams. In several different photos. <laughs> no, not oh, that. Right, we have dreams of making several different TV shows. One of which is a reality oh. show where you have to um, start off homeless and you have to see how much you can make out of your life in like a set period days, of time. A month. Yeah, we play with different time scales in our hypothetical situations. Oh, but, I'd, oh it's I'd really crush fun. that game. Oh, it's so fun to think about. You did crush that game. I know. I lived that game. I I crushed that game. You still play. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm well, on level 760 something. <laughs> rules about like what you're allowed to use from your previous experiences and things like that because it's not no fun if you can just like walk in and be like, oh, I've got a degree. Like, you got to lay some ground rules. But let's move on. We don't want to yeah. get into. I've actually. <laughs> on on my other show, my brother and I have been pitching ideas back and forth. So I knock my teeth out. My front teeth are fake. When I was a little kid, I've never had front teeth. Not okay. as long as I can remember. We've talked about doing a book or like a cartoon about a serial killer who pulls out his victim's front teeth. Oh, too specific. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah. It was Richie's idea. His name is RC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He kills the victims with weapons he's made himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of his victims were killed with homemade knives. <laughs> they could never trace the weapon because it was too specific. It was like a one off every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, I just got so flagged. Yeah. Okay. So I just kind of want to bring everything back to, you know, Ameribraid a little bit. Um, at, At what point did you guys decide it was time for you to stop playing guessing games 
at your previous job when like what was the sort of the catalyst where you're you're building these machines you're selling them at trade shows and then all of a sudden you're realizing there's enough demand for this we need to start our own company so the first four years it was pretty slow well like it was slow progression we were growing basically doubling every year but um up until like within a few months of quitting our day jobs we were still like no like we'll never quit because we just want this to be a side thing we want the security of our day job all that but then it eventually reached a point where that just wasn't an option anymore it reached a scale where we were neglecting um responsibilities at Ameribraid whereas and our day job I wasn't gonna say it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh it was like all right um so, one sounds or the other. like that was the case before you started making grinders actually <laughs> hey i was a well-respected productive team member i was also a team member <laughs> <laughs> so but, uh, basically you were half-assing two things instead of whole-assing one thing it's tough because at a big company you can get away with a lot we can go into that. There's like the, I forget if we call it the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule, but 10% of the people do 90% of the work, you know? And that yes. is definitely the way that giant corporation was that when we left had upwards of 10,000 employees. Yeah. But then, uh, COVID, anyways, COVID hit. Yeah. And they sent people home to work from home. And the room we're sitting in right now recording this is where we were working from home. And for the first few days, we were pretty productive. I was like, I'm actually more productive here for my day job than I was before. But then you're like looking out the window. Like I said, we've got a mill like five feet from us. We can see a mill and we can see the part it's running right now through our office window. Yeah. And it got pretty difficult to like stay focused. And we're like, man, I think it's time we start considering. Like, like I said, it was getting to the point. COVID kind of gave us a big boost. I, I don't, we're not great business analysts. We don't can't say why our best theory is just people were at home and wanting to do more stuff from home. A lot more people taking on hobbies. So With free cash. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we're cash. Seeing an yep. in business and, uh, we were like, okay, it's going to fail if we don't do this full time. Like we're going to do such a poor job of managing this, that we're going to ruin our reputation and it's going to go under. So it's one or the other. And, uh, we were like, Let's do it one at a time so that we don't put too big of a burden of adding both of our payrolls onto the monthly bills at the same time. So I took the jump first and quit. And I was going to do it like a month or two later. And then like two weeks after Eric quit, uh, I got a call. I got laid off. (laughs) We had a good party. I had a a, a whole This kind of describes this whole situation really well, actually. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no yeah. the uh my the company had like a 10 percent uh workforce reduction and uh i made the lucky one yeah we had a party we called it i got laid off a hawaiian party. themed we my all wife got, threw it for me we had hibiscus lays lays you know like they give you in hawaii yeah. nice we invited all the people that we <laughs> over to our shop to get to see where we were now going to be working it was not fair. Eric quit like two weeks earlier and he was a better employee than me. And I got a severance package. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> a great. <laughs> All you had to do was wait two weeks. Although you probably wouldn't have gotten laid I, off because you were the well-respected one. 
within our group. Your words, not a few other people. Your words, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> no, Kevin was respected for his skill a lot. His manager would be a little frustrated about how much time we spent playing uh, hypothetical games <laughs> and listening to Bob that. Ross videos. Not me personally, but yeah. I'm collective. We saying Kevin specifically listened to that stuff, but yeah. his boss would have occasional meetings being like, dude, you're awesome. But, uh, we just focus a little more. <laughs> like, oh, what? What'd you say? Sorry. I was looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so right at the beginning of COVID was when we went full time and, uh, really glad we did. It's yeah. just been fun. Road took a, took advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. Just see where it goes. Yeah. We want to do a lot more. Yeah. We have, we have machines. We want to design that we've been talking about since those days. Yeah, we've been talking definitely. five years. We've been wanting to make these other new different machines. We're definitely proud of what we've done so far, but it's like, we're a long shot from what we want to do. We've just been trying to figure out how to manage the current level of sales for the two by 72 well enough to where we're freed up enough to do all the other stuff we want to do, but um, it's a learning experience. Especially coming from aerospace, uh, my entire work life too, I've always kind of made different aerospace parts. You're doing one, in my case, very large, very expensive part, and that's it. You have, you're doing one part, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year. Uh, it, it takes you to make this one thing, and we came here, and it's like, okay, you need to make hundreds of these a month and keep track of inventory and keep track of production schedule. So it's a little bit different um, environment for us that we've been learning. Yeah, I mean, the aerospace industry exposed us to some different techniques and things, but it definitely did not prepare us for production and business management because so much of the stuff we do, did was low quantity in compared to what, in comparison to what we do now. Yeah. Well, and a lot less, less dynamic because you, you're talking about building one part versus uh, how many parts on a two by 72. I mean, there's, there's an, and all the different processes that you guys go through that maybe a lot of other people don't do like the powder coating of all your frames and managing all the time and, and scheduling, I'm guessing that is required for all of that between building the frames, getting the powder coated and the different steps. I mean, you, you guys machine your own knobs for crying out loud in house, right? Yeah. Yeah. We go through a lot of those about yeah. 1200 of those a month is what we make. Well, how many um, how many people do you employ? Mm, about fourteen, somewhere around there. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. It's tough. Wow. Good lord. Yeah, we'd like to fire people and hire people all the time to just keep them on their toes. No, not really. We really hate that. <laughs> <laughs> but we we really I don't. don't. Yeah, I I, I love seeing you guys as. Uh, what's that? At one point, we had 18. The biggest we were at 18 employees. That was like during the COVID time. Luckily, we didn't have to fire people. Like a lot of kids go off to school and you'd, it's like, okay, that was good timing because now. We I was going to fire you anyways. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> You're so lucky. Did that beep come through? <laughs> yes, yeah. it did. Yes. Well done, sir. <laughs> I'll show you too. Eric, Eric had to go. We did a podcast and it went terribly. Uh, the one we did, I had like echoes in my ear the whole time. I couldn't concentrate. So Eric got some podcast equipment today. He's like, we have a podcast on the books for today. I was like, oh, crap, we do. That's right. I totally forgot. 
So I ran to Best Buy and we stocked up. Well, we appreciate that. We we feel very special. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we? I don't remember. <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> let's uh let's knock out our last sponsor, Phoenix Abrasives. All right. And just get it out of the way. I don't want to forget. Hustle and Grind Podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one stop abrasive shop. When you go to PhoenixAbrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36 grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact Gator belts that the hosts of Hustle and Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Every day. Every Excellent. day. Who recorded Actually, that one? Luke, that is from Luke Crafty Man Forge. Crafty Man Forge, yeah. Okay. All of our voiceovers, except for yours, are done by Luke. Um, I'll actually, I'll play the Patreon one so they can hear it. Uh, we've got loaded up. I've got Liverpool accent or Kermit the Frog. Kermit, Kermit's my Kermit. favorite. Liverpool. Hi, Kermit. You're listening to the Hustle and Grind podcast, a podcast for all the makers out there hustling and grinding every day to turn their dreams into reality. If you'd like to show your support, you can go to patreon.com backslash hustle and grind. For as little as $1 a month, you can help us all keep hustling and grinding. And remember, every time H&G gets a new patron, an angel gets twings. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he does a bunch of them. <laughs> I love the name Hustle and Grind. I love when you guys hit us up and we started talking. I was like, absolutely. Because that's what I love about the grinders. Like, me and Eric did the grind for grinders for four years. Our... We'd work the day job, which was nine hours a day. And then we'd come home and work until like 10 o'clock at night. And the entire shop, luckily Eric had bought this house with a nice big shop, which we're still at Eric's home shop, by the way, um, which is another long story. But he didn't even have light bulbs in the shop. He had just moved in when we started this. He had just had his daughter and he had a, a new daughter in a new house. And we started doing this stuff until like 10 o'clock every night. And we had to buy everything, including the light bulbs. Everything, if you got in the shop, Everything has been purchased from working late and working hard from the grind. So I love the term. Nice. I love it. So good name. I I appreciate you guys being willing to sponsor us. You would not believe how much. Well, you probably would believe, but how much I get blown off. Or like we don't get because we don't talk strictly about knives. We'll joke around. I'll talk about anything. I don't give a shit. And <laughs> like, so a lot of people don't take us seriously because of that. But. No, it's, Whatever. Yeah, it would be hard to talk about knives the entire time. And dude, you want to see like, you want to see you know, kind of centered around knives, but some of the personalities and the other stuff, and you know, uh, no, I really enjoy it. So when you hit us up, and I, I I, to like, yeah, I didn't even ask Eric. Usually I talk to Eric, and Eric was busy. I was like, we're gonna sponsor him. We're going for it. <laughs> well, we appreciate That's awesome. it. Eric uh, just found sponsored it at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I'm joking. I heard, I heard boys recording, and I was like, "Wow, what the huh? shit?" Okay, what do we give him? <laughs> no, Coy was nice enough to do that for us. He doesn't sponsor us or anything. I asked him to, but he said no. <laughs> but it's fine. Yeah, uh, it's um, we just uh, we let we want to keep it light, and like I've got I got positive and negative feedback from the Jason Knight episodes because I didn't talk to Jason about 
the same shit everybody talks to him about. Everybody talks to Jason about knives. Everybody talks to him about his shop fire and stuff like that. And I'm I was under the assumption that he was tired of talking about it. And yeah, why not just guys is cock the whole time? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rooster, sorry, everybody. rooster. Sorry, rooster. It's <laughs> <laughs> rooster. Yeah, I, we, you know, we get made a, that get whole a, episode without mentioning the shop fire once. Yeah, we if did, you hang out, yeah, I. He's got so many other things he wants to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure Jason yeah. appreciates yeah. our podcast much more than the same questions. Over yeah. and over and over again. I I thought maybe we could get into who he actually is, you know, because like there's who everybody is, and then there's who our inner our social media says we are which is not always exactly the same thing you know if you're selling grinders or whatever or or you're jason knight nobody gets to hear about you shooting at your cock with a fucking fully automatic airsoft gun you know <laughs> or like talking about aliens yeah and you're not going to keep jason yeah. focused on one topic anyways now both no. episodes we kind of just like like let him roll just oh just talk yeah just let him go. We did a show with him recently. I freaking love Jason. And um, he was forging some stuff. And we were kind of talking a little bit. And then he just stops mid-sentence. He's like, can you get me a Coke? And I was like, I don't have one. He's like, could you find me one? And I was like, sure the F can. <laughs> so like, I And this Coke for Jason. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He thought you were the coffee guy. He's like, can I have a black? Two cream, no sugar. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so that's actually a pretty good segue. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about. So you guys, we we talked a little bit about you uh, worked in the aerospace and how you moved into the grinder um, company. Where did you guys come from before that? Like, how did you get into engineering? Like, Eric and Kevin, the people, aside from being very easily distracted and uh, playing fun games at work. Like, where did you guys kind of get into this engineering mindset where you wanted to build things? You can go as far back as you want. I answered this one first before. I want Kevin to answer it first and go through some of the stuff he used to do. (laughs) He's thinking real hard. (laughs) I wasn't sure if I was going to start with a joke. You guys got me on a little bit more of a silly day than I usually am in. Uh, So I don't want to overdo it. Um, I did come no from my mind. That's where it started. It's like, I just, <laughs> oh man, I, it all started. I was the fastest sperm in the balls. <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, a bad yeah. host. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, I came from my dad's rooster, the fastest one. Um, like a little bit back, my uh, I my more of my background was kind of automotive racing and fabrication stuff like that. And what got me into that? Um, um my dad is a a full blown hoarder. I love him, but he's a full blown hoarder. But with cars and tools, automotive parts and tools. So me and my little brother would do nothing but dismantle vehicles for fun when we were old and just like scatter my dad's tools all through our yard. We had like a, 
a third of an acre house with 20 something cars and boats and motorcycles. And we just like try to get cars running and, um, it was pretty fun. Uh, so that's where I, uh, just started learning how to use tools and stuff. And then when I was, mm, I think about 11 years old, motorcycle mania one came out with Jesse James. And I saw that and I was like, this is awesome. Like, making something out of metal and seeing like a raw fabricated piece. I was like, this is awesome. So, um, I, my dad had an old Hobart welder and I pulled it out and he showed me how to weld and then everything kind of takes off from there. So, um, I learned how to weld. I learned how to MIG weld. I started fabricating and all kinds of stuff. Um, more so, um, in like high school and stuff, taking, shop classes and stuff like that, doing all that stuff. And then, um, I different odds and end jobs, but always welding and doing stuff like that, like right out of high school welding and all kinds of stuff. And then, um, one of the places I was working, we had to go do a job with another company and they had CNC machines, big CNC machines. I was like, these things are awesome. And, uh, I was like, can you show me how to run these or how do these work? And that guy's actually my mentor. He's still around, but this was down far away from us. And uh, he's like, well, I'm not a really good teacher. Um, I was like, okay, like, can I just like work here for free? So I'd like, just go down there and hang out and work a little bit. It was, it was far away. It was like two hours away. But then from there I took night classes to learn how to CNC machine. And that led into some other jobs and eventually led to me working at aerospace where I met Eric. So everything from off-road fabrication, racing, um, all for fun and just completely obsessed. I, I'm a workaholic. I just, I want to do nothing but work. Even my hobbies are work as I'm sure you guys are the same. That's just the way it goes. It so, is. Yes. That's a brief, brief version of my background. What, what sort of stuff so, you weren't doing automotive parts though with Gene, like you guys were doing a lot of yeah, aerospace. <laughs> when I got into CNC machining, um, one of my specialties, which I actually kind of learned on is called large envelope, um, machining their five axis gantry mills. And the one I ended up programming for at the company general tonics had uh, 60 feet of travel in X 20 feet in Y and 10 feet in Z. And then it's full five axis um, head and you're machining fuselage molds or wings and stuff like that, either at a high temp tooling board and stuff. You guys ever watch formula one? It's all very formula one esque aerospacey or carbon cutting carbon fiber and stuff. So, that's more when I got into aerospace is when I started doing CNC machining. So how did you get from operating CNC machines to listening to Bob Ross audio? <laughs> Bob Ross is always there. Bob Ross is always there. Um, me and Eric talk about this. I, and I think him as well. Like we talk about it, like, I don't know if something you're born with or something you can teach somebody, but I have a unjustifiable self-confidence so things I should really have no place in doing. I'm just like, no, I can do that. Like, and people let me do it for some reason. So <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I seem so confident and half the time it works out. And if it doesn't work out, then you get another chance and half the time it works out. So now we're at 75% and you just, you know, the odds are in sure favor. math works. Yeah. That's how math works. <laughs> like, for example, just like pretended to be a construction crew this week. Yeah. My, I saw I that. A, yeah. Oh yeah. We live in a pretty rural area and all it's all dirt roads. And whenever we've had pretty good luck the last three years, we've done tractor work to keep the roads pretty good. But this year, 
um, the rain just totally destroyed us. We got more rain than usual for California and, um, all of our water mains were exposed. There's like an internet line, just like sitting three feet above the bottom of my, like the trench that used to be my road. And so I can't even go out there anymore to like smooth stuff out with my tractor. So we're like, we have to bring in, we, Kevin did some quick math. We we're like, we need 150 yards of dirt to like fill in this hole. So we just were like, let's like, <laughs> let's pretend to be a construction crew. Let's, let's plan this out to be efficient. And we like rented a couple dump trucks. Yeah. We rented dump trucks and they require a class A license. Yeah. Require, they're like, do you guys have a class A? And we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Which we don't, <laughs> but we were supposed to get class B and then they didn't have any or like class uh, C dump trucks, just a regular like F 600 truck, but they don't have any. And then, um, so to get the trucks, Eric's dad was a backhoe operator for 40 years. And, uh, he's got a class a, so he got us the dump. Like we took him in to get the dump trucks, but this is part of that self-confidence that just works out. Right. Eric's dad was just like, do you know how to drive a dump truck? I was like, I, I, I drove one like kind of once, like I shifted three or four gears in a big truck. Like I'll figure it out. And he's <laughs> like, there's a lot that goes into it. And me and Eric were just like, yeah, okay. And we did fantastic. Yeah. It, it worked perfectly. Pretty, it was, we moved like 400 yard, 400 dirt. plus yeah we did around 500 yards of dirt moving i in think like a day and a half yeah it's like 50 dump truck loads yeah it was pretty good oh gosh. i so. even my dad couldn't help us with the backhoe the second day so i was just in there just like i got this yeah we'll figure it out yeah moving some levers around <laughs> seeing what happens yeah so i love it i love it but yeah so that that's just kind of like how our whole we're like business well, that's kind of like our overconfidence with the grinders. Even we're like, people are selling these for way too much. We can oh. make and sell these things for like a couple hundred bucks. That's what I want to pay. Yeah. I and- literally remember thinking <laughs> that we can make a grinder with a motor and ship it to you for $300. A tiny bit off. But uh, we, yeah, we still, that confidence got us in the door and yeah. Uh, We've uh we've got some friends that tell us that confidence comes from being uh white males. <laughs> That's our privilege. Oh, we're in California. We have a lot of liberal friends. <laughs> but uh we're like, well, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. But yeah, I am pretty confident, I guess, whether or not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I, I know a bunch of white guys that have no confidence. I was about to say, as a white male, I can tell you that's not what it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wasn't even gonna say there's something different because uh I have one brother who's just like me. He's confident in stuff he should not be confident in, but he does it anyways and do well. Oh, fuck my other brother's probably going to listen to this. I love him, but he doesn't have like the arrogant. It's not so much arrogant, but he doesn't have the over self confidence. He like wants to plan everything out and is much more careful, a more which humble. Is probably a great way to go. But me and my little brother are just like, fuck you, get out of my way. We'll do it. And it's worked out. <laughs> I always tell my brothers they're, they're overthinking it. You missed that one a little bit. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I always tell my brothers they're overthinking it. And I don't so much think that it's a, it's an arrogance. It's a lack of fear of rejection or failure. Yeah. You're just oh. like, no, that's a, that's a good point. And we, yeah, we talked about fear a lot. It's scary to quit. I mean, we're, we were working good careers in aerospace. That's a good paying job with benefits and, and you get to joke around all day. And we and- had kids. Yeah, we had kids and new wives, and there's a lot of fear of if we do this and fail, 
there's a lot on the line. You got a lot to lose. Yeah. Got a lot to lose. Yeah. Oh, we feel it, dude. Noah. You want to lose that? (laughs) (laughs) Noah and I both have kids and wives and I, uh, I bought my first house two years ago and that's like really when my knife making started taking off. Cause before my boss let, huh? Oh, sorry. I said, that's, that's fantastic. Congratulations on getting the house. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It was weird. Nobody in my family's ever owned a house. So I was like weird. Like I didn't even think it was possible. And it's, it goes back to people overthink shit. I got pre-approved for the mortgage with $14 in my bank account. Like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they wanted to sell me a house. That's Good. confidence right there. <laughs> They're like, you yeah. only have this much money. Can you come up with that? I'm like, oh yeah. If you tell me I'm approved, I'll make shit happen. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it went down too. Uh, Cause they're like, you're going to need like $5,000 for all the inspections and closing in this. So I started selling stuff like rifles, guns, ATVs, whatever I had. And they're like, where's all this money coming from? I'm like, I'm selling stuff that I have. Like yeah. you need bills of sale. I'm like, what the they fuck's like a bill of hit. sale? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But made it work. Good. Good. Hell yeah. That it's is fantastic. confidence. Doesn't yeah. it feel freaking good to wake up every morning and actually have to work hard and be dirty. And sometimes when you feel like shit like that all adds to the little glimpses of the moments where it feels good. You wake up and like, I provided this house for my wife and my family, the people I love the most, their lives are better because of me. Like feels pretty yep. freaking good. And it's, I've noticed now with my shop being at home, it's different than when you have a nine to five, when you don't feel good, it takes a lot less for you to call out of a nine to five. But when your shop is 10 feet from your back door, you got to be pretty fucking sick to not at least wander out here and putt around all day. You know what I mean? Instead of just going and coughing on people at work, work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember during COVID, me and Kevin tested positive one week and we're like, let's close the door like in the office. We'll keep working. Everybody was like kind of giving us like side eyes, like, uh, like, somebody came i don't remember who it was or like uh people are a little uncomfortable they're like we're fine we're just we're working here tell me who it is tell me their name i need names <laughs> but <laughs> i need to cough on that person specifically <laughs> there, there will be repercussions how dare you <laughs> we got ran out of our own shop yeah. i started working from in the house and kevin went home and worked but, worked from home yeah you, you try wait wasn't isn't, of what isn't your home the shop though? How do how do you get sent home from your home? He got uh, sent I, inside the house instead of inside the shop. Yeah, I gotta walk. I gotta just <laughs> stay in the house instead of walking fifteen feet out here. Oh, okay, all right. Big, my big boss is, uh, my boss has given me COVID twice <laughs> <laughs> because he gets it and he just keeps coming to work, or his kids get it and he brings them into work because they can't go to school. I'm There's like, too much to do. <laughs> Yeah, people want shorter lead times. People need their grinders. We're just doing our part for that herd immunity. That's all. There you go. Because me and Kevin would even come in here and work at night, and then we got some more backlash from that. People were like, "It's not confirmed whether or not it lives on surfaces." We're like, "Oh, whatever." This was a little bit earlier on in COVID. Yeah, 
So we're like, oh, now we can't. Even gotcha. We're trying to machine stuff in here at night. Yeah. And 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 you guys are in a communist state, so it's like people yeah. are a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. People were nervous. We were trying to be sensitive to that. So we weren't trying to be insensitive when we were doing. We just didn't think it was a problem. But when they expressed their concerns, we responded. I knew I knew what it was all along. I wasn't I was never worried. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a joke. Uh, I was I was trying to tell is, is that that confidence coming up again or <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Maine's Sometimes, weird. Maine's Maine's one of them purple states, so we're like split 50-50. So you right. see like like nut jobs from both sides, you know. Depends on where you are. You could drive five minutes and all the signs change. Like all the political signs on people's lawns. Everything like town by town. Yeah, everything's... uh, That would be weird. It's weird. Everything's so close together. Yeah. California, like where we live is kind of, you know, um, right wing, but it's... It's tough because... It's like an unspoken thing. It's like you can be right wing, but you can't can't do it openly in California. Yeah, you can't talk about it. But that's the weird thing. It's like, kind of. But at the same time, it's really only centralized in the cities. Like we live, like I said, we live in a rural area. Everybody's pretty much like-minded. You don't start encountering yeah, like different stuff until you get into the cities. Yeah. Which is funny. I, like early I, on, I, there was a knife show. No one in our community was wearing masks. And we went down there. And me and Eric were like the only two people not wearing masks in Orange County. Yeah. And we have to offer like a disclaimer at every show. They're like, where are you from? We're like, well, we're about to tell you, but like, hold on. Don't freak out. At Texas Blade, just cool your horses, okay? We're California. We're not but, moving hey, here. On, it's okay. Yeah. People are like, oh, California, no. Like, we're not all the same. I uh, I lived in California for two years. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> That's fine. <laughs> Uh, i love love the random beeps there (laughs) what'd you say about this did kevin did you say something about marijuana no i said we're from california we're not all the same that's what eric said and then i said i do enjoy myself from coconut water though oh coconut water i thought you said marijuana no i was like oh well you are in california me and eric are so boring we're like don't even drink we don't do any drugs or drink like when we probably do it for slightly different reasons, maybe, but if I can't stand the thought, if there's a terrorist attack, I'm not an optimal condition to do something about it. And like, that's a little bit of a joke and a little bit reality. I just do not like not being in my crazy state of mind that I'm always in. Like I need to be uh, thinking about new products or how we're going to machine something just obsessively and nonstop. That's how we deal with the terrorists. <laughs> new product so, development. Is, better products <laughs> is there any one of your guys's crazy ideas that you've been thinking about from the beginning that you want to build um other than a two by 72 that you can talk about hmm. yeah, there's some that are really it. close to being um... we have a really special one that we're gonna do awesome i think you guys will be excited when you finally see that that incredible, dude. I'm really excited to see that. <laughs> no, there's some stuff that's going to be at Blade Show Atlanta that uh, is going to be pretty stinking cool. 
that's really close. So we Ooh. won't talk about that yet, but there's some other things that are can a we little talk, further out that uh, we've been can we talk about, about it on the after show. The after show is for our patrons only, so it's a very limited scope. Is that something we can talk about there, maybe? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Gonna go yeah. into third. Yeah. And that's the that's so the if you want to hear about the amazing new stuff from a rare braid, you better become a patron of the Hustle and Grind podcast. Person will die, like Brigham found out, but you'll get to hear <laughs> awesome stuff from a Maribrand. One of the things that is not as close, but something we've always talked about that we really want to work on because it's a little bit more complex project is a uh, press break. I don't know stuff because a lot of your listeners might be knife makers and they probably don't have as much of a need for a press break, but it's something, you know. As any general fabricator or maker, you just don't design anything that requires bends in sheet metal because there's just no good way for a small home shop to be able to bend stuff. Other than there's some like really entry level stuff, like um, uh, Swag Off Road makes like a adapter you put into your H frame, like Harbor Freight press, to be able to bend some stuff, but. We want to go one step beyond that for somebody that wants to be able to do some more precise, repeatable stuff. Yeah. Um, and because uh, we came across the same problem, we were trying to like you, like we were talking about earlier, our first machines, we couldn't design anything like that because we didn't have the tools to do it. And eventually, we got to a scale where we bought a press break. But the only thing from the swag off road entry level thing that was it's a few hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. The next step up from that is now. What, like fifteen thousand dollars at least yeah twenty grand for it's like a Chinese um, slightly CNC more like some sort of numerical controlled press break yeah it's like there's nothing in between it's still too big to fit in most people's shops yeah too big and so was that still three that was three phase too yeah, yeah it was three phase yeah so too big and you know that comes back to our um, back to our original goals and objectives of that was a problem we had when we were working in the shop, average dudes with a family making average income with an average shop space. There was this big gap in the market of desire and having to work around tools you don't have or can't afford or don't exist for you. So, yeah. So we're trying to bridge that gap to give people better capabilities that aren't even available right now, be able to bring that into a smaller shop. So, so Kevin's been working awesome. on a test rig. Yeah, that one will be fun. Hopefully I'll post about it when we get the test rig going a little bit more. That one's kind of, there's so much we can do there. We had to like take a step back, but that one will be a lot of fun. We'll show more about it, but you're, you're very precisely trying to position control a hydraulic ram within three thousandths of an inch. And there's Jeez. a lot of ways you can do that. It's just very expensive. And that's why press breaks are exemp- expensive. So um, one thing I think we thrive on is we try to be clever. Um, and that by us being clever allows us to give a lot of value to the end user, whoever that might be. Part so. of the being clever is setting the requirements. Like we we're talking about before, like, do you really need your belt to track the exact same on your top and bottom platen wheel? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but that's what is going to end up determining the cost of this final product is what requirements are you trying to hit from the very beginning? So what we're trying to do is come up with the bare minimum set of requirements where you don't outprice people from even having the capability, but um, you also give them what they need. So um, we've got some good ideas. It's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. It's a real fine line. Which awesome. is another cool. thing that comes to my mind, which is 
um, not being so confident and cocky or arrogant, which we're not, but um, there's, I don't think we realized it until we were on this end of the spectrum, until we were on the business end of things or the provider end, is people would always come out and say, oh, you know, this is the best machine or this is best or that's best. Um, you know, in the CNC world, there's always a lot of uh, like, what's the best machine? And there's all these real high end German and Japanese machines that are really sought after that are crazy precision and do all this stuff real fast. And, you know, they're five, $600,000 machines. Um, if you guys are aware of a CNC machine called Haas, um, they're the biggest uh, machine tool builder by volume uh, in the world. And they're American made and awesome. And I never was a big fan of Haas. Um, I liked nicer, more high end machines, but one thing that we kind of discovered that I really like is what's best. If you can't afford one of those machines, is that the best machine for you? No, the best machine for you is something you can afford, something you can use that meets all your requirements. That's best. So one of the things we say a lot is, you know, best is situational. What's best for me might not be best for you. What the best machine for you might not be the best machine for him. There's so many variables that go in it and so short-sighted to say best. So we, we used to say that and then we kind of took a step back and try not to be so cocky. And I think understanding that allows us to be humble and see through some of the stuff that was holed up. So just something I think I felt like we were dancing around. I wanted to share that with you guys. I like that thought that we came up with. That's very insightful. I like that. It is very situational. Um, what, what the best that you can get is different than the absolute best because People like to say, "Well, if money was a, money was no object, what would the you know what would the best be?" But money's always an object. You know, there's always, you know, even if you can afford something, doesn't mean that you should. It goes back to you know what we talked about last week or the week before, which is rule number two. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You might have the ability to get something that's the best, but that might not be the best for your situation if you actually took the variables into consideration. So yeah. that's a like, what very was insightful guys, way to look at it. What was your guys's first grinder? That, when you started knife making? Uh, the very first was a Harbor Freight one by 30 grinder. And that, what's that? That's what I expected you to say. Yeah. That's like, well, and, and it, that probably the best machine for you at that time to see if you even liked it. Exactly. That's exactly what it was because uh, just like you guys are, you know, we're talking about with all of your little schemes and everything. I've had many schemes over the years. I was going to make a t-shirt selling business. I was going to start a brewery. Um, I was going to be a famous YouTuber. Um, I had all of these, these schemes that, that came along and I lost interest within about six months to a year. Um, but you know, knife making, I, when I started, that was what I was going into it as I, I was expecting it to burn out. I was expecting it to fizzle out. And so I didn't invest a ton initially into what, you know, what I was doing. But, yeah. um, then when I realized that this was something bigger than all of my other random aspirations that I had, um, that's when I, I invested in the, um, the house made uh, two by 72. And that was the machine that, you know, the, the revolution basically got me to where I am now and being able to, to put something like that together to, you know, up my game really helped me to an immense degree. Yeah. And then when, honestly, it was, it was when, 
Kevin was sharing so much of your guys's processes and your stories um, after you guys were already sponsoring us. And I was, you know, looking deeper. I mean, I had seen your guys's products before, but I mean, this was probably back before you guys were even full time. Now that we're talking about when all this happened. Yeah. Um, and then I, I started looking at, you know, just, I, I think it was the, um, one of the stories or something where you were describing the process for machining the sides of the, the tubing arms. Okay. Yeah. And I looked at, I saw that and I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm buying one of these grinders, you know, the, the you know, people, a lot of times will, I think, actually I think it's Brian house. They'll say people don't, people don't buy from companies. They buy from people. And, and when I see a person who cares that much about their product that they they machine the sides of the freaking tooling arms to make sure that everything's precise and then you had another video about um you guys uh, process with the um the rubber molded wheels and, and how precise you like to try and get those and, and everything like that like that's that's where i was like i want to be a part of this you know i want to have one of these machines in my shop because i would be super proud of that and and just the ease of use that comes from that baseline precision. Um, that's what sold me on it. Yeah. But so much of that stuff is hard to explain. Everybody's got to go through their own journey to like find out whether that's necessary. Cause if you didn't have that Harbor freight first, if you didn't have that house made first, like you have no reference points to even understand what you need and what you don't need. Um, those are all, and that's a lot of people call and I talk to them on the phone and they're like, do I need this? And like, I'm not a salesman. I'm not going to just tell you that. Yes, you do. Like it's, you're going to go through your own journey. And if you stick with it, I know that it's got enough value that yes, it'll be worth it, but I'm not going to pressure you. If you're not to that stage yet where you know, you need this stuff, then um, you might have some growing to do and figuring out how far you're going to take this. Um, it's basically with any hobby, you know, whether it's mountain biking or there's a certain threshold you have to get to with any of these things. How good a gear do you buy <laughs> to where you're actually going to enjoy yourself? Because you can make it, if you go, if you come in too low, you may not stick with it just because you don't have a good experience and you didn't, um, get yourself above that threshold, but I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a tough, yeah, it's, tough it's, game to play. We, yeah, that's why we didn't make everything as nice as we did in the beginning, but over time it's it evolved into what it has, where this is what people know. There's enough awareness around two by 72s. Now people know what they want and how um, nice it is to have these features that we can offer them and charge for them accordingly. And people know that it's valuable. If there wasn't so much awareness then people will be like, I don't need that because they haven't gone through that journey to realize that it's important. It actually is important to be that precise. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, I started sure. my, my first grinder was a two by 36 multi-tool that goes oh, on the nice. side of like a bench grinder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I had, I had one. I actually had one in storage. I brought up here when we started and we never plugged it in, but we had it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was actually was uh, so funny. Um, we went to an off-road show, multi-tools more and off-road, and they were across from us. And that was one of the guys who was like, why are you guys bringing a... Oh, no, that wasn't him. Sorry. No. I'm getting mixed up. Um, yeah, multi-tool uh, was at Blade West. Blade West, yeah, in Long Beach, because they're, <laughs> they're actually out of Orange County. But that was so funny. That, uh, you know, 
is um you know they provide a valuable tool and again best is situational so their their tool might be best for definitely not talking down on them but me and eric at the time i think that was back when we had like 18 employees and we're just like killing ourselves trying to make all these machines every month and all these parts and all these challenges and we know they're a big company and i asked him I was like oh how many employees you guys got and he's like uh, four <laughs> and i was like what how, how do you have four employees and they just you know they're doing it their way, which is awesome. They're just bringing stuff in and shipping it out and someone else is selling it. And it, like, it works in the, in the moment, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> a lot easier. It sounds a lot easier than having 18 but employees. Honestly, we wouldn't be interested in that. It wouldn't be fun for us. No, no. Yeah. It, it worked for me in the moment. Like it got me past that point where you're like, am I, is this a hobby? Am I going to keep doing this? Is my interest going to fade in this? And then, uh, house came out with the first gen revolution and at that point in time we were really struggling financially and there was yeah. no way that i could even buy the kit so i i bought the 25 dollars plan set charged a bunch of plate steel to my work and cut the whole grinder out with an angle grinder yeah. and <laughs> oh man that sounds terrible it's oh, still my dude, primary were, grinder to this day you were hustling and grinding and i love that <laughs> yeah and absolutely like, I I wanted to do stainless because I hate explaining knife care to people. All right. But I, I still to this day can't afford like an even heater or paragon. So I built my own. And you know, you just do the research and figure out how to do it and make it happen. And yeah. That's right behind me. Yeah. See it right there. That's my that's okay. my oven. I like it. It's gotta justify that's itself. That's the definition of itself and hustling and grinding. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten so really well. good at making coils. <laughs> I just kind of wanted to go back to what we were talking about before about the whole, you know, different projects and then sticking with them. We talked about this a lot last week, I think, and it's come up before, but I think I owe a huge debt of gratitude for me still making knives to the community as a whole. Because Ryan, you were talking about how, you know, kind of the knife making community and Instagram especially is different than other communities and stuff about how positive and encouraging people are and helpful. And honestly, I don't know if I would have stuck with, I mean, I, I love knife making from the second I pounded out my first, you know, hot steel. I was like, Oh, this is amazing. But like, that doesn't mean I would have stuck with it. You know, like just the fact that there was people that I could learn from and a community online of people that I could talk to that weren't overly weird. And, uh, you know, just like, the, the support that you get from the knife making community. Like, I, I mean that in like a positive way, like we're all weird in a very, very specific way in order to, you know, make knives. Like that's not a normal thing, but uh, just like the, the community as a whole is probably a lot of the reason for why I'm still making knives. It's, it's pretty yeah. awesome. So. For the most part, I mean, 98% of them of us are awesome. I mean, there's a couple bad eggs in there, a couple of elitist fucks and, you know, whatever, but you're going to get that in any community you get into. I was actually having this conversation with my brother, Richie, because he's a tattoo artist. And by nature, it seems tattoo artists have way more ego than hmm. like different types of art. And I have two brothers who are tattoo artists, and I think I know why. It's because their clients will sit there face to face with them for hours while they're getting tattooed telling them that everything they say is funny 
every joke they make it hits it right on the head. <laughs> they're the smartest people they know. You know what I mean? Because they're getting tattooed by this person, so yeah, they don't want to. And inking you. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's kind of interesting. They don't. The tattoo industry doesn't have the community that, like, say, the knife industry or even like pen makers or industrial suppliers. You know, and yeah, it's a strange thing. I haven't thought about a ton why. But, you know, when you go to a blade show, technically everybody's competitors, mm -hmm. but it's not seen that way. Like everybody's super cordial with each other. Yeah. Even though every booth is technically someone that might steal your sale or something, but it's not, it's not the feeling. Um, that's not the way people see it, but. Right. Like, like when you guys lost your Ameribraid page, Brian House posted from his page to go follow your new page, you know, yeah. even though you guys are competitors, like he yeah. had no problem doing that. And like, I don't think you see that in different industries other than ours. It's yeah. kind of, I don't know if you've noticed even different platforms though. Like, um, we've tried using TikTok a little bit, but Oh my gosh, I had to give it up. Like TikTok, I, I mean, Instagram, everything is really supportive. Like, and people are, um, it's just generally positive, but man, I'll post the same video on TikTok that I post on Instagram and just, it's all just, negative trolling comments and say, like, I, my mental state can't deal with this. I don't even go there anymore because, uh, it's not knife makers and things following us over there. It's just people there to, talk, I think yeah, are encouraged to troll you. Yeah. I think part of it is like TikTok encourages people to reply to comments. So the best way to get a reply to your comment is to have a really like nasty comment. And then the creator will reply to your comment with a new video so I think TikTok like encourages that. And I just don't like that environment where it's like good to be controversial and mean. It's like I get all my blood boils and I lay in bed thinking about stupid comments. I still remember <laughs> negative comments on a YouTube. Oh yeah. Anybody say, can anybody spell OSHA? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you were thinking that's about a good one. And then like the next you're, video. You're talking to you're talking to two mechanics we live on osha violations <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, tricky but back to like you said and i was going to say that too is um that it fits fantastically mine and eric's personality in the <clears throat> knife community because we aren't too um what's the word i don't know we we like supporting other companies and stuff and all the knife makers are that way. Like Eric said, technically every other knife maker is a competitor. Like you should hate them and fight against them and yell at them and say, Oh, that you're using wood on your knife. That was my idea. Wooden handles, wooden scales. That's mine. Um, and it's not that way, which is refreshing. And we try to be that same way too. We are extremely cordial and really like what, um, Brian house is doing. We talked to him for quite a bit at blade. We're kind of workaholics. So we're not online or talk to a whole bunch of people like crazy, but at blade, we talked to him for quite a while and, yeah, great guy. And um, so we love doing that and helping and support other businesses and give them ideas and whatever it takes. It's the way we look at it um, with competitors or whoever, the more of them you have, what's best, again, back to the best thing, what's best for our customers, what we can provide the best solution to is maybe not what Brian House is trying to do. His solution might be best for something else. But if we're both successful and help one another, that's going to make the industry better. 
because now the guys that we couldn't take care of, we didn't have the best solution for them. If someone else has a slightly better or the best solution for them, that's just better for the community. If you can build the community all up, we could all have a bigger, we could all have a smaller piece of the pie, but it'll be a bigger pie. You know, that age old saying, so that's the way we look at it. And in the long term, that works as long as everybody's marketing honestly, but the people that market dishonestly, we always just feel like that'll work itself out over time. Like, the reputation is going to get out that they're not offering the value that they're promising. Yeah. We and, don't try to help people that are jerks, but yeah, so. there are some competitors that it's like, well, you're offering less for more and that's not good for anybody, but we figure that'll work itself out over time. Yeah. You and you guys and Brian house or like Richard Beck, like you guys are, you're different sides of the same coin. You guys aren't DIY kits. They're DIY kits where their their whole model is to get somebody into a two by seventy two for as little as humanly possible, um, and have it and, be a very quality machine, and have it be functional. You guys are are more. It's pre made. Every machine is tested. You know, every all the plates are machined where they need to be machined. It's it. You know, it's a more precise. Uh, what do what would you say? Plug and play type deal. Just plug it in and go. Not everybody wants to spend two days building the tool before they get to use the tool. So yeah, yeah. well, and, and, and I think. Go ahead, sir. Well, ahead. I, yeah, I think I was just going to say that that works perfectly. The way I love your guys's analogy of of the the best in that scenario, like you're like we were talking about with me before, the the Harbor Freight one by thirty was the best machine at that time for me. And then the house made uh, revolution was the best machine for me at that time, because I wanted to build a grinder and I wanted it to be mine and I wanted to have my logo on the side of it. And it does. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's what was perfect for me at that time. And then now the best machine for me is the Ameribrade. And so it just, it works out that, you know, all these different facets of the community all work together to, to, to give people the best thing that they need. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And we, as long as the knife making like industry is succeeding, we want to bridge that gap with more and more finer steps so that people don't have to leap so far between the Harbor freight one by 30 and the fastback two by 72. So the two by 48 that we came out with was like the first step down, but still that's a pretty big step for a lot of people. I don't think where we were when we started this, I could have afforded a thousand dollar machine. Um, so we still talk a lot about how we bridge that gap one step down again. Yeah. Um, because, um, even though now we're like, Oh, the fastback is totally worth it. I wouldn't get any other machine. It's like, yeah, it's easy to say once you understand that value and you know, you're making money doing it, but we still try to remember where we were when we started and uh, how much it is difficult to make those jumps. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you should mention that, but we are an hour and 38 minutes in. And so we're about ready to switch over to the after show and we, excuse me here, believe it or not, I'm still getting over getting sick. Um, so we have a listener uh, Patreon member uh, submitted question directly related to the 2x48. Okay. Um, and so we're going to talk about that in the after show. Um, here on the main show, we're uh, about to wrap this up. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about on the main show? Mm-hmm. Mm. The main show. 
Any any last minute things that you want the world to know? Any anything that we want to throw out there? Anything at all? I will. I not to be cheesy, but um, with a Blade Show Atlanta coming up, we're going to be there. Hopefully, have some fun new stuff. We're going to talk about some of that right now. But uh, I love meeting people, so make sure you come up and say hi. Uh, especially if you listen to this, come come say you heard it or something. And I try to remember every single person, which I'm usually pretty good at. But now we're meeting so many people. I'm um, not good at it. It's Don't getting difficult. <laughs> but uh, I love meeting people, hearing their stories, hearing what they're doing, hearing what they're making, talking to them, shaking hands. Like it's so nice and refreshing to be out there and um, see all these people. We enjoy doing something we're good at that helps other people's lives. And that's what this company is. Me and Eric are, you know, talking back to like us versus houseworks or something like we couldn't be good at that. We're not good at making videos and doing stuff like that. The stuff you need to do for the DIY kit. We're good at knowing some of these crazy industrial processes that take, I mean, we have machines that are $350,000. We're good at mastering those machines and providing that to people. So we did what we were good at. I love when people come up and, you know, tell us things they like or dislike or how they're using it. I love that. So make sure you come up. If you're at a little blade, say hi. I'll come see you. I got my plane ticket already. So. Heck yeah. Nice. Noah, did you get your ticket? Uh, yeah, totally. Ooh. Are you lying? Yeah, I'm totally lying. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to buy them probably later today. I'm trying to figure out the exact times, but yeah, uh, we we're uh, we're going to be down there in Atlanta. Uh, me and Ryan are going to be hanging out with a bunch of other of our knife making buddies. And so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make our way over to the Ameribrae table for sure. And, uh, and, and be very happy to meet you guys in person. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, yes, so we had, like, we had, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was sorry. Close it out before we move to the after show. I was just saying, I like, like to encourage anybody who's doing something productive to add to the world. You're actually creating something of value. You're doing that thing that where you're doing your potty dance and you don't want to stop working because you're so invested in it. Like that's a good sign to keep on going with what you're doing and, uh, you're on the right track. Um, so uh, I'm going to add one more final thought to what Eric said was <laughs> when we started, we literally like, we still have, we got more of an idea, but people are like, why, what do you got? Why are you guys doing it? Why you keep going? Why are you working so late? We're just like, I have no idea. It just feels right. And we're making like these connections with other people. We we had no idea why we're doing it. We weren't making money. We were, we had funds flowing through us, but we weren't taking any of them. We were working late. It, it just didn't make sense, but it felt right. And that's all that mattered. And um, now we can see a little bit more of the vision. So even if you don't know the big picture, it doesn't matter. Just keep doing what you do. Keep working hard. Add value by creating something tangible for people. That's why we all like making something is uh, you're actually putting something in the world instead of just consuming. Mm-hmm. Yep, Absolutely. Hell yeah. Uh, we had... So Noah's question on the after show. And then there was another one that I wanted to bring up because it's, it's a clever one. Colin of Hayworth handmade said, how about a little role playing? Oh yeah. Post post apocalyptic scenario. What long gun handgun and bladed weapon would you have with you while traveling on the road? Is there any chance between the two to have a pause? I am doing that potty dance right now and I am bursting. Yeah. So absolutely. Absolutely. We'll wrap this up and then we stop it. And so catch you at the after show, everybody.
Oh, we're gonna answer that, man. Thanks for listening, guys. Right Kevin, Eric, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>